0: Welcome to the WAN Manager Podcast. I am your host, Greg Bryan, as always, and this is the show where we talk to networking experts about the data services that make business possible. So when we're talking about cloud and digital transformation of the enterprise, it's always useful to come back to the fact that physical geography still very much matters in the digital world. So when you're moving the data center off premises or shifting data and workloads to the cloud, it doesn't actually make anything dematerialize. You still need wires that connect to servers that sit in a rack at a hyperscaler or neutral data center facility. So more than ever enterprises need to understand the market and the landscape and pricing structure, uh, at what we once called co-location facilities. Um, and back then, uh, and my guests can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but they were mainly really only interesting to service providers and ISPs. Now that world has greatly expanded over the past few years. So to help us navigate uh, through all of the data center operators and pricing, we have our resident telegeography expert on data centers, John Yembo. Welcome, John. Thanks, Greg. Good to be here. You know, John, uh, not all telegeographers have a map sitting behind them in their yeah. work from home tableau, <laughs> oh, and I've, I'm going to you know, commend you for doing the right thing. So thank you.
1: My my wife has uh, informed me that this map is very old, and I need to replace it. It's getting faded. I yes. should put a new one up, but it's good to have it. Yeah,
0: yeah. You know, my my map is now very out of date, but I just really liked the design. This year it was 2015. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. Same here. Um, but I'll get a new one one of these days. Yeah. So, so John, um, you have been the principal investigator on our Colo slash data center now uh, uh, a research product for gosh a long time. Why don't you just give mm-hmm. us a, a quick uh, uh, tour of your background and at uh, telegeography especially.
1: Yeah. So I came on board here. Uh, I guess it's been 13 years ago now. So oh, wow. It's a, yeah. It's incredible. Time has almost uh, as old as
0: yeah. I know <laughs>
1: I would say I'm catching up, but that's never going to happen. So, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's, it's been a, it's been a, quite a journey and um, I was brought in in part to build up this specific research area at the time we had been updating what was known as our co-location database every two years or so. Mm-hmm. And we ramped up coverage and um uh, changed the name eventually to Data Center Research Service, and we uh, started covering this market annually and then even more frequently with interim updates and then uh, and then adding on our pricing research, which is formally updated biannually. so it's mm-hmm. it's gotten a lot bigger and we have uh, we have more and more people involved in it, so it's it's been great.
0: Yeah, well, so that, that cues me up perfectly, I think, for, for the place where I was going to start here, which is just kind of taking us out uh, over during that time that you've been working on that um, yeah. past decade or so. Uh, there's been really big changes, as I alluded to in the intro, in, in the communication mm-hmm. and now sort of data center market. Could you just take us through the highlights of kind of how that transition happened?
1: Yeah, uh, there's been quite quite the seismic changes, I would say. Um, and, you know, when I think about that, looking back at when I first started and where we are now, I mean, one of the things that strikes me is that if you look at a list of who the most prominent players are in the market right now, like half of them didn't exist back then. Um, so there's that. Um, and then um, as part of that transition, I think I'll talk to, I guess, two broad trends, one being Um, carrier neutrality and uh, the other being the increased role of uh, interconnection within the data Mm. center. Mm -hmm. And of course they go hand in hand. Uh, But traditionally, uh, co-location sites um, were basically nodes where you could interconnect with your carrier and they were controlled by carriers. And then of course, Equinix and others came along and um, blew up that model right. and um, created the carrier neutral model, and um, and we really haven't looked back. But when I was when I started here, um, the the carrier model of data center was still pretty big, and you had a, a number of carriers who were trying to get into the carrier neutral game. So uh, in mm-hmm. 2011 2012 timeframe, you it's had several mark right yes yeah, <laughs> yes, yeah. I remember yeah.
0: some of this yeah.
1: Yeah, you had several major providers um, at the time. It was Quest purchased Savvis.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, the AT and T data centers were quite big. Zayo had their right. own services, and they were all trying to move in a more carrier neutral direction. Then there was a backpedaling, and uh, about five or six years after that, mm-hmm. and um, and I think I, I think this is probably pertinent for your enterprise customers in particular. So you went from a situation where you might, you may go to your carrier to get uh, data center services along with your WAN services to a situation where you're going to a neutral third party to access your WAN provider along with some other services. Right. And so in about five or six years after you had these um, carriers buying up carrier neutral providers, you then had this massive divestiture of the same
0: assets and and others uh so and, um, and is that where some of these startups that you mentioned came from just sort of oh yeah really...
1: absolutely so you had six terra uh for example rise out of that um they ended up buying uh, the CenturyLink assets mm-hmm. and um then you had uh evoke um bought up the uh, at&t data center assets and uh you had all these other operators out there uh um, merging in and under a more carrier neutral model um and then the the biggest the biggest recent one was databank which uh which bought mm-hmm. out zcola which had been operating at, from a carrier neutral position um under Zayo.
0: right and has one of the more creative names to databank yeah. <laughs> <Sorry. Yes.
1: laughs> yeah yes so yeah that's one of the things is that i think this this carrier neutral model, Definitively, um, won out, and not only that, but by and large, there's been this sense that, like, let's let's stick with our core business and our our um, our core competencies. Right. So the carriers have gone back to just being carriers, and the data center operators are data center operators. And by the way, some of these new companies that spun up to buy these assets were of course run by the very people who had sold them off to the carriers in the first place. Ah, So you see some of the Terramark people coming back and, and uh, running some of the operations now after uh, the Verizon assets were sold off, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, So, uh, so yeah, that, that, that carrier neutral um, kind of definitive um, sea change uh, has been really strong in the last. Um, you know 10 15 years and then the other the other thing I guess I would highlight is just the 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 growth of interconnection is this this core aspect of what the data center is about I mean really the data center now far from just being a real estate play far from just being a building where you put telecom servers is uh, is a network and cloud node um, right and um, and, the, and the and the operators who are successful in this market understand that very well, and mm-hmm. are following the movements in the cloud and networking environments, which is why I especially love tracking this market at a company like TeleGeography because we
0: very uniquely cover I think, both of those markets. Both. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a great point, and and I mean certainly from from the enterprise perspective that I'm more familiar with, you think of neutral data centers as a place to connect with your cloud providers and that kind of thing, much more so than the old school telecom way of thinking about it of, of, you know, places to exchange traffic, you know, so, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Interesting, yeah, all right. So um, whenever I go through and read your excellent reports on data centers, I'm I'm always struck by how we make a distinction in in those write-ups between retail and wholesale data center space. Um, and and I know that there's some ties to, to the reality of the market there, but it always kind of seemed murky to me. Can you kind of sort of flesh out the difference, um, between those and, and, and particularly of course, where do enterprises interact, right? Yeah. Yeah. In that sense.
1: Yeah, it's a good question. Um, and, and honestly, I think to, to customers, um, the, the, the only thing they're going to really care about is who can provision, um, their, their lease requirements, um, you know, the size of lease, the, the length of lease term they're looking for, you know, along with other specifics, um, to their deployment. But, um, I think for us, it really matters to keep this distinction. Um, I've wrestled with it a little bit because it's a very murky distinction, Mm -hmm. but like, let's start with the really simple view, which is that a wholesale lease is a large scale, long-term lease and a retail lease is a short term, you know, Small footprint lease. Okay, that, that makes
0: enough sense. Yeah, right. Yeah.
1: So you start there, um, and we measure that um, in terms of uh, power because mm-hmm. power is the core component that governs um, the capacity available um, to customers. And we and the, and the, so we roughly delineate delineated as wholesale being half a megawatt or more, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. three to five year leases or more, and retail being about. 250 KW or less and lease lengths of a year or two. Mm -hmm. There's of course, significant overlap. There's a gap in the middle there, and there's a lot of gray area where operators play very heavily in both markets. Um, There are operators who will look for anchor tenants for a data center that might be on the wholesale level and then fill in with retail on the side. But, the reason I think it's important is that the the, there are fundamentally different market dynamics for one. Um, Mm -hmm. And then there's also a great danger in um, for us as analysts to double count capacity um, when we're, when we're, if we kind of assume that the the, the capacity for both retail and, and wholesale operators together within a given market, like for example, um, even today, uh, Digital Realty and Equinix, who are competitors, one is more wholesale-driven in their business, and another is more. Equinix is more retail-driven. Right, um, right. They, it, Equinix is Equinix is one of Digital
0: Realty's top ten customers. Ah, so, right. Okay. So, so kind of like in the network world, yeah, where you can sort of there. There are some pure-play wholesale telecom providers still. Uh, yeah. I, I assume a few out there, right? You know, That sure. um, uh, that, and that, so, so in, in, in there, again, the, the distinction might become murky where if I'm the kind of enterprise that has the need for say hundred G wavelengths, I'm mm-hmm. kind of buying in the, the wholesale market, but, but it has to do more with sort of like, um, you know, what, what the purpose of the sale is <laughs> compared to yeah. uh, the, the actual pricing or whatever. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and and frankly, uh, the there are some really key key locations where there would absolutely be kind of a double counting um, mm-hmm. um, with with these two types of operators. But talking um, going to kind of the distinctives, unlike a lot of the stuff that we track at telegeography, if you look at the network side, of course, the story is often one of price erosion, especially on the carrier side, mm-hmm. carrier services. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the 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 data center market tends to be a little more buoyant, especially on the retail side, right? Because, um, you'll have, um, particular ecosystems that are in extremely high demand, um, Mm -hmm. always, and, uh, they are able to retain fairly high prices. Um, and, um, and then there can be, depending on individual market dynamics, there can be, um, long-term price stability, Uh, Amongst other retail players too, whereas the wholesale market tends to be a bit more commoditized and, um, Mm -hmm. and you'll often see, um, especially when it comes to provisioning, um, wholesale leases for major cloud providers, there can be a a desperate scramble for that kind of business. And you'll see, um, the prices, uh, absolutely plummet to try to win contracts from major cloud providers, Mm -hmm. um, but on the retail side, it tends to be a lot more stable. Um, right. And you're basically, you're cramming a lot more uh, customers into a much smaller footprint. Um, right. And then you have different types of retail offerings. And so, like, there's there are, I think, in both the wholesale and the retail markets, there are more interconnection-driven data center ecosystems. And then there are some that are more enterprise-driven.
0: And so, so by enterprise driven, you mean um, places for offsite uh, to data centers, uh, compute and storage, and that. So sort of
1: thing. yeah, so like for example, on the retail side, um, and 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 really, this this can get quite blurry, but um, because of you know this the this the amount of space available at a at a particular location and what the operator is willing to provide to an enterprise client, but you'll typically have um, you know clusters of data centers um targeted towards enterprise outside of an urban center where they where the land is a bit cheaper you still have relatively quick access uh, via dedicated connectivity to mm-hmm. the cloud platforms that are in more dense locations right. but but you're you're set back a little further from the prime real estate whereas the prime real estate is a very uh, uh you know, if you look at the urban centers, this is where you have these things that we call carrier hotels, right. and these are still very much like this core part of what, what the where the internet ecosystem converges.
0: Yeah, and, and the names that we know offhand, like One Wilshire, and stuff well, I was like just that. gonna say, like if yeah. you're
1: if you if you're in the if you're a, a peering manager or anybody in the network world, you know a carrier hotel by its street address. I mean, right. you know that's and that these are these places that networks from all over the world have to have a small footprint to interconnect with each other, to interconnect with the cloud platforms. Uh,
0: but provision. you would be foolish uh, for, to, as an enterprise to store your servers there, for right. example. Yeah. They're, they're, those
1: places are um, all but irrelevant for consideration, you know, for, for deploying resources for an enterprise. Mm-hmm. They would be looking at Places in the suburbs, um, right. um, um, You know, out if you're in the London Ashburn. market, for example, Ashburn, or in in the London market, out in Slough, or, Slough, or right. somewhere yeah. somewhere to the northeast, or something like that. Um, yeah, so that's that's kind of why there's there's a real distinction in terms of the market dynamic, in terms of what they're covering, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and and you know, also in the interest of not double counting capacity, we like to keep those as separate as possible. Of course, um, companies like Digital Realty really throw us off um, when it comes to that, um, and and others, because they've actually bought um, absolute key retail co-location providers. Um, Mm -hmm. Digital Realty Mm -hmm. bought Telex several years back, and then more recently, InterAction in Europe, and they very much play in both markets. Equinix is spilling over into the wholesale market with its X-scale venture, trying to sort of keep things on campus, um, both with the larger scale leases and the smaller scale leases. But but by and large, there's still a very relevant degree of separation.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that, that's actually the most helpful explanation I've gotten. So I'm glad you came on the show. Hey. Well, <laughs> I tried to work with <laughs> a few times. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let's move on to, you know our favorite topic um, across all of us analysts geography a little bit. Right. So, Mm. um, you know, the, the development of data centers um, follows like, you know, what you might expect being in the largest commercial hubs around the world, kind of like you just mentioned that some of those like core sort of locations, Um, but just, just broadly speaking, right. Like everything we do um, when, when you put it on a map, it looks like a population map or uh, as you're uh, fond of, of, Pointing out um, the sh- the shipping maps around the world match the oh, telecom nice. maps, right? <laughs> yeah. Absolutely, <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, so, but I wonder if you could just take us through, even if even if some of these places might be obvious, the, the, the mm. places that are most well linked by fiber terrestrial sub cable, like um, yeah. I assume, are where the 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 key data centers um, would come up. But in, in what I've looked, at, it, it doesn't correlate perfectly. In other words, where there's the most, fi- you know, submarine cables landing is not necessarily the place where you see the, the key right. data center. So I it, specifically, I was thinking of, of what I just mentioned, like Ashburn um, outperforms New York City uh, data center wise, even though there's a bigger concentration of GDP and fiber in New York City, right? Um, so, like Secaucus and, and lots of, you know, there's only a couple landings in, in Virginia. I'm, I'm out of the sub cable game, you know better than me, but um, yeah. So can, can you just sort of take us through the, what are the really key markets in the data center co-location kind of space yeah. um, and why are they where they are?
1: Well, it does very largely correlate with where you find centers of commerce mm-hmm. and communication centers of finance, commerce and communication. Um, and of course those are not necessarily um population hubs they may or may mm-hmm. not be there are mm-hmm. major highly populated markets around the world that are ex- extremely underserved um right and uh so it really does correlate i think and you mean that even
0: like say within developed so, so that's not comparing say a, a less developed market um to a developed market but even within the developed world there's there's population centers that haven't become Internet centers per se.
1: Yeah, that's true. But I was I, I was kind of speaking to the former too. To, I, I see, mean, it. okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. but which you know it's um, uh, and a lot of that has to do with where where you go to interconnect with the global economy, mm-hmm. um, and mm-hmm. so so ultimately you have these you know telegeography had this old um, bound study. Um, you know, like hard copy that book that we published called uh, "Hubs and Spokes."
0: Yeah, I remember um, that. Yeah,
1: right. So I have a copy it over there, not within arm's reach. But um, but you know, if you think of the notion of hubs and spokes geographically, you you have these converging points for communications, for commerce, for business, and and from there you have these spokes, these branches going out to really natural geographic um, sub nodes uh, that are within the orbit of those hubs. Mm-hmm. And, um, so there's a, there's a natural relationship there. Um, and the same is absolutely true in this market. And gosh, before I list them off, it's, it's a really key point about the, it not necessarily being where the sub cables are, uh, because if we think about like what, what this is really about, it's, it's about, um, um, Interconnecting at the points of 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 commercial and and, and communications uh, convergence, mm-hmm. um, and uh, so the sub cables are just a piece of the 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 overall network puzzle that gets you where you're going. So the right. landings yeah. do not necessarily coincide with where you're ultimately trying to reach. They're mm-hmm. just perhaps the shortest. Route to get to that ultimate destination, and they are right. just a, they're just a segment along with the terrestrial component to get to where you need to be, um, right. and that's really important to keep in mind because I think there's been a lot of uh, attempt in the industry to try to counter that and say no, you know if this is where the cables are, we should try to build up you know a data build center here. ecosystem right. here, and in a, in a very few isolated cases that's worked out great, but it doesn't always happen that way, but um, mm-hmm. but at any rate. Um, the, you know, the, so let's start with Asia and Europe because it's it's more limited um, and, and easier to define. Um, in Asia, it's traditionally been Singapore and Hong Kong and to some degree, Tokyo, which is has always been more of a formal and sort of domestic driven market. So the real international centers have been Hong Kong and Singapore, which is really mm-hmm. interesting now because both are dealing with some um, some issues that are. That are, that are causing some self-examination in the industry mm-hmm. about over overdependence on those markets. Mm-hmm. In Europe, um, it's the flap markets, the so-called flaps, Frankfurt, London, Amsterdam, and Paris. Those have been the centers, and depending on where your sphere of influence is, um, you're gonna try to get to those markets traditionally. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're traditional endpoints of transatlantic communications. They are traditional uh, endpoints for um, uh, network capacity coming from the middle east and north africa east asia and so mm-hmm. forth.
0: But that's a great example like you know frankfurt's not a particularly big population for european city but is kind of the home of the euro and and that sort of thing so yeah yeah
1: so in the us um it's traditionally been a little more decentralized um you've ha- you have more major hubs than you do in other parts of the world but And then you also have uh, some secondary markets that have gotten so big that they could almost be considered primary hubs. But if I was to, if I was to kind of Mm -hmm. succinctly say, here are the major ones, you got a couple on the West in the middle, and then the East on the West, you have Silicon Valley and LA in the middle, you have Chicago in the North, Dallas in the South, and on the East you have primarily New York and Ashburn. And then there's some others that are Mm -hmm. getting quite big as well, but those would be kind of the primary ones.
0: So I know we've been tracking uh, all of these cities and whatnot for a long enough time to really have a, a big view of, of how the growth has played out globally around the world. Um, where where has the growth really been focused in the last few years? And, and where do you think uh, we're going to see the most activity over the next coming few years?
1: Yeah. So I think we're going to see a continuation of what we've seen in the last few years. So I'm going to just kind of Address mm-hmm. both aspects of that really together.
0: That's that's the prognosticator's best tool. Is uh, where, where are we going? Let's look yeah, right behind. It, so yeah. so, yeah.
1: so um, there's been a lot of talk about the edge, um, and you know, per- perhaps you and oh, yeah. your oh, yeah. listeners have heard talk in various outlets about the edge and the and how it's going to kind of take over everything. Mm-hmm. And I think in the early days of edge, there was this uh, sense that. Um, the whole paradigm of the data center could be upended and um, you're going to suddenly have these scats of data centers like all over mm-hmm. these little nodes that thankfully the, the distributed, distributed network yeah and data center not, very, not well yeah. and if it does it's going to be for very niche applications on small scale and it's not going right. to fundamentally change a lot of how we how we configure networks geographically
0: Right. Yeah, that's that's yeah. what I always thought about that argument. There's there's fundamental economies yeah. of scale that are the benefit of data centers that can't Absolutely. go away, right? So, yeah. so
1: what, but what has happened when it comes to the edge, and and um, and then also, I, I, I like to change the phrasing and, and refer to them as frontier markets, um, places that are underdeveloped. Yeah. So rather than just thinking about edge nodes, mm-hmm. we think about places that are underdeveloped and and and, and desperately need uh, investment. Um, right. So what I, what I think is happening is development absolutely everywhere. Um, in the midst of all this talk about the edge, we continue to see tremendous buildup of data center assets in the core hubs. And that can't be understated. That cannot mm. be understated.
0: Well, as as someone who lives in Loudoun County, I literally see it every time I drive somewhere, right? And that's not just
1: data centers. That's IX platforms and that's cloud on-ramps and cloud uh, regions. We still Mm -hmm. see cloud regions, Mm -hmm. major cloud regions coming online in major, major markets. I mean, I think, I feel like Google just launched a cloud region in Paris, for example, for the first time. Um, So we're Mm -hmm. seeing that. Oh yeah. Really? So we're seeing that. Yeah. But at the same time, we are seeing uh, a mass of interest in underdeveloped markets, um, both in, you know, uh, relative and stable, um, economically strong uh, secondary markets. You know, some of these so-called spokes, right. sub-regional hubs, if you will, you know, places mm-hmm. like in um, in Europe, a step, you know, a, a step smaller from the flaps like Stockholm and Madrid and Milan. There's there's a lot happening in places like yeah, that. like
0: brick before the the last week. Yeah, right. right. We're recording this yeah. uh, in early March, so I think I need to remove the R from the yes. brick. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah absolutely.
1: Um, but um, but so you're seeing that too. At the same time, these what I'm going to call frontier markets are really are really on everybody's radar. And what I mean by that is. When you look at operators who are traditionally just in really mature markets, they're, it's just saturated. The The supply is massive. Mm. They're losing um, margin on their services, and they're looking elsewhere for increased profit margins, increased opportunity. And we right. we have seen and will continue to see a, an incredible amount of interest in, in markets that I would even describe as, as outright volatile. Um, places that have never really fixed underlying issues that kept people from moving in to begin with Um, on the regulatory or operational Mm -hmm. end um, you know challenges dealing with getting getting access from sub cable landings backhaul to the local markets local access within markets um, dealing with regulators dealing dealing with equipment uh, importation and things like that Um, we're seeing we're seeing major international investment dollars going to places like those that are that are very difficult. Right. Um and so we're seeing a a great increase of interest in places like India, um, mainland China. I mean throughout India, mainland China, um, Southeast Asia, going back to the thing I was alluding to about um overdependence on Singapore and Hong Kong. I mean in, in Hong Kong you have this obvious political situation that was really looking ugly until COVID came along and kind of put that on the back burner temporarily and um and right. then uh and then in singapore you have regulatory um issues that are that are that are adding to this sense that wow we're we're you know w- when it comes to networks like redundancy resiliency should be such a core part of what we do why are we all like continuing to th- throw all kind of, of our investment in dollars place. into the same locations right. we need to look elsewhere especially right, since right. we know There are tremendous local populations in Southeast Asia, for example, that really want access to cloud and content that we have stored in Singapore. Um, And and Mm -hmm. we see these massive thriving peering ecosystems in these places. Yeah, it's it's difficult to do business, but there's tremendous opportunity. We know that they demand um, access to these services. As we increasingly rely on a cloud-driven world, the, the, the latency becomes um, a, a far bigger issue, and you have to be able to um, service uh, many bandwidth-intensive applications as locally as possible. So um, uh, right. you know, we're, we're seeing a lot of interest in um, Southeast Asia, Latin America, the Middle East, Africa, Central Asia. These mm-hmm. ka- these types of locations are increasingly on the international radar. So it's a it's a it's an all of both ends. Yeah, think- you know, there's tremendous buildup within the existing hubs, right. and uh, and kind of a race to see who will deploy first in some of these other locations. Because the catch with with some of these smaller markets is that if you're the first mover, there may be tremendous opportunity to to seize on the demand that's there. If you're the second or third. That market may already be saturated because it's not that big and it's not going to get that big.
0: Right. Yeah. Although if we if we get into some kind of econ 201 sort of stuff about it, right, that um, that you you may grow the demand by having increased the supply. Yeah, because then there becomes this network effect where some fiber providers who weren't there maybe now have interest and then someone puts, oh, you know call centers there that weren't there and no doubt about it um uh,
1: that's very true but at the same time we can see from other more mature markets that there's only so far those types of markets are going to scale you know and that's really the issue right right um you may have a robust uh demand that can be filled with uh smaller footprints by a few international providers but they're not gonna expand rapidly because um, uh, mm-hmm. as we see from other sort of sub-regional hubs, that growth only goes so far. And, um, and the reason that international right. operators are so conservative about this is they, they know that, and they'll often move into some of these places via joint venture or acquisition, and it will often be at a much smaller scale than they would typically deploy somewhere else because they, they see that forecast. There's great potential, but at a smaller scale.
0: Excellent. Yeah. All right. Well, let's let's um, shift gears a little bit and talk about the the actual players themselves, just briefly. Here, um, we've we've already talked a fair deal about uh, the ones that everybody always thinks of, uh, Equinix and, and Digital Realty and whatnot. When I read your reports, or if I read like uh, Christian Cox, you know, excellent uh, uh, newsletter that anybody listening not subscribed, they they should. Um, I, I'm always reminded me of. Uh, it always reminds me of just how long of a tail there is when I see MA of all these companies that I've never even yeah. heard of in the first place. Right. Um so can can you just give us a brief overview of of the main players and then and then uh obviously not you know lists or anything, but just what what does that very long tail kind of look like? Like are there is it like the network market where, you know, when I, I, I'm more familiar with, with carriers. And I mean, there's like, everyone can rattle off, you know, half a dozen key net, global network providers, but in the end, there's like a hundred, yeah. right? You know, so I assume it's something like that. Oh yeah, that, something
1: right? like that. I mean, I think we have 800 operators on our database um, and that's just, and that's just what we've, yeah. And I mean, that's everything from small, yeah. very localized providers to um to, to, to operators that kind of that may operate like a really key ecosystem in one market to operators that are right. nationwide right. region wide and then global um and so it's really it's mm-hmm. it's a lot to wrap your head around and try to try to keep an eye on um but but there mm-hmm. it, it is kind of it's kind of a, um a small grouping at the top though that's for sure like if you were to look at If you were to look at the um, overall footprint, you know, you have hundreds and hundreds of operators, but um, on the primarily, so if you you look at where Equinix and digital realty sit as kind of the the prime retail and the wholesale generally operators, um, each of those is like more than two and a half times as large in terms of geographic footprint than their next biggest competitor. They are just massive. But then you have this, Incredibly long tail behind that, and um, and and Equinix and digital realty are also un- are really unique in that they have such an incredible presence across every imaginable geography. Um, Although more right. recently, yeah. after
0: yeah. right, just to your point that a lot of the, in those long tail, yeah. there's a lot of like very hyper focused, absolutely. Geographics so a lot of the, sort of, yeah, just just like in the in the fiber market, right? There's there's fiber providers that operate in one tier three, three city in the U S. and you know fiber providers that operate in in 120. Yeah, hundreds,
1: I mean right? so, um, in the U S. you have you know operators like Flex Central and CoreSight, Cyrus One, QTS, now Data Bank, and and others who are Really hyper focused on the U.S. markets and are really critical providers mm-hmm. in those markets. Um, Europe, you got Global right. Switch, um, although they they have uh, very much uh, an international presence, a major presence in Asia too. Um, there are a couple other really big ones internationally that it so happens. I mean, there are t- two Japanese um, operators that are both carrier owned um, that operate really mm-hmm. major important um uh well and the, so so telehouse uh owned by kddi's um mm-hmm. and um they uh they operate the most critical carrier hotel ecosystem in the london market
0: um in, in their docklands right well it was a it was a uk company before mm-hmm. kddi bought it right so, um
1: yeah. but 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 you know that's a it's a carrier owned business that by and large, if you were to go to a telehouse mm-hmm. facility, it's driven by KDDI um, um, uh, mandates and 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 their their sort of business right. um, mission. Um, but but they they own um, one of the m- most important carrier neutral facilities and campuses and in uh, the European market. Um, then you have NTT, which mm-hmm. has this weird conglomerate of multiple companies that are under the same group and sort of compete with each other. Uh, Across the globe, and they're mm-hmm. massive too. But their international division alone, I think, controls about 4.5 million square feet of uh, data center space, and they're mm-hmm. they're absolutely a major provider across global markets. Um, and then, you know, like I said, all these specific regional players as well are, are within one one nation even.
0: Hey, folks. This is Charles. And Lizzie from Telegeography. We have a quick aside before we get back to the show. Are you hiring in the WAN space? It seems like everyone's either looking for their new position or they're trying to desperately hire for their department right now. That's that's right. And if so, you might want to post your job to WANform. If you haven't checked it out yet, it's a place for those who manage wide area networks and maintain IT infrastructure. I've always found that going to industry-specific job boards tends to have a better success rate and yield a better crop of candidates compared to more general job boards. And that's exactly what we're trying to achieve by adding this new job openings area to the WAN Forum. You can see what it's all about at WANforum.com. If you'd like a position to be posted to this community, shoot us a message at info at WANforum.com.
1: Now back to the show.
0: All right, so so there's a lot of players out there, uh, but it, it makes me think also of you know again the fiber market and specifically in, in the submarine cable market. Uh, one of the big trends over the last several years has been that we've seen the content providers that were big users of submarine cables get into the submarine cable market themselves. Um, I I take it that, that a, a similar kind of thing. Uh, maybe it's a little bit different because it's, it's long been at play, but it is is a dynamic in the in the data center market where you have the the hyperscalers are are often content themselves, Google, Amazon, obviously come to mind, um, but that also have their own facilities, so so they're leasing space from the neutral providers. They also have their own massive uh, yeah. data centers. Um, h- how does that all interact with with what mm. you track in the sort of neutral uh, uh provider market
1: yeah i mean that's a really critical question because it it i think it it gets to the core of what's what's driving a lot of the market um and and, and again this mm-hmm. this plays very well with what we have been tracking all the way along at Telegeography anyway we've um we've seen this transition right. in the network world where um Companies like Google and Facebook and Microsoft are absolutely—they determine what projects happen where, uh, to some degree, and and how those projects are configured. So, so we see this long haul um, transition from a pop to pop sort of model to a data center interconnect model, where um, <clears throat> these major content providers are going to uh, interconnect their facilities, and then on the data center side, um, absolutely they they are driving a major uh, portion of the market. Um, we, If you track um, what's been happening with cloud region development, I mean, if you look at just AWS, Google, Microsoft, mm-hmm. um, right. They've their, their growth in the, the number of cloud regions over the last several years has just been incredible. I mean, we typically see year on year, like 30% growth in just the number of locations that these guys are covering, um, and very aggressive right. growth um and as with the market side it's um it's uh they're they're working very much hand in hand with the with the industry um the network side they're working with the carriers here they're working with the data center operators um and my understanding how you kind of break this down in terms of what their presence is and and how they um, interact you'll have the major um, hyperscale data centers that Are built by companies like Google and Facebook. When we think about it, you know, all this talk about the cloud, uh, most of what they are doing at those facilities is supporting their core business. I mean, Facebook doesn't have cloud, but they have massive data centers
0: for um, mirroring. Right. It's just a it's just a cost right. for them. For Google, right. it, I mean
1: that yeah. those data centers are being driven by the search business and and YouTube and things like that.
0: Interesting. By far, really. That's really interesting because I, yeah. I I think of them because you know the where I interact with them is is you know Google Cloud Services,
1: and I mean no doubt that's that's a that's, that's certainly a faster um, growing business, but it's still a, a very much a minority, right. of right? What they but do. That Google is still the, search the engine. Google right? Cloud yeah, is still exactly. very much a a, a a minority revenue share of the overall business. Um, so what's driving those hyperscale mm-hmm. data centers in places like? Um, uh, Finland and uh, you know other um, 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 uh, very remote locations is um, back end storage for their core business um, servers so right. yeah, that yeah makes a lot of sense. and um, so yeah. you have that um, you have you have these proprietary data centers as I you know, as we would call them um, where they they store their own services then you have these cloud regions um, where um, they will take some amount of um, wholesale capacity, perhaps at a single site, perhaps at a campus, relatively close to end users. Mm -hmm. So rather than being in the middle of nowhere, closer to an urban Mm -hmm. area, Mm -hmm. large scale wholesale builds, but not nearly as large as those massive um, storage and data disaster recovery sites. Um, 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 These cloud centers would be built closer to end users. Those are often... um, if not always, contracted by uh, a wholesale data center operator who will build and, and operate those facilities. Um, and um, so mm-hmm. that generates a ton of business for the wholesale players. And so that's that's a major way in which the cloud and content players interact with the wholesale market specifically. And then from there, you have these on-ramps, these dedicated uh, Ethernet connections to uh, more densely linked co-location sites, um, or, um, where, where, Mm -hmm. um, they'll have edge servers that, um, customers and partners can, can, uh, link up to and access the cloud services at these nearby, uh, regional clusters. So they interact across Mm -hmm. the spectrum and they drive business across the spectrum
0: for sure. Just focusing on that a little bit. Um, and this may be outside your purview, but I, I'm taking it from what you're saying that you might, um, connect with like so so your on-ramp might be in say an equinix facility which is then taking you to the aws facility Mm -hmm. down the street essentially where the actual sort of that's that's my my understanding yeah
1: yeah absolutely
0: gotcha gotcha that that makes perfect sense to me then so it's it's good that we agree (laughs) excellent all right well let's you know this this is the way manager podcast of course i want to get a little bit on on specifically kind of the enterprise perspective although i think all of this background information is really good um, you know, an enterprise might just be interacting with this market in a way um by uh, buying infrastructure or platform as a service from a CSP. Um, although most of the enterprises that we talk to have moved their their data centers off-premises or at least some portion of their data centers off-premises. So so they're, um, you know, setting up uh, maybe even like kind of bare metal servers or something like that, or leasing server space in, in, a, in a data center, even if a lot of their compute is happening at uh, a market abstraction level above this, where they're paying AWS in a, in a situation like I just kind mm. of described. I think either way, it really would benefit you to know what the pricing mm. structure is. So without getting into yeah. specifics, uh, really, just can you give us like... the the basics of like, how, how do you charge for these services? What, what is charged and, and, and kind of what does that look like?
1: Yeah. So the, the basic charges is generally based on power utilization um, because as I'd mentioned before, that's Mm -hmm. kind of the primary, that's the premium cost within the data center. And in fact, kind of look at power as a unit of real estate, because there's only so much power provision within a unit of space, which is the power density. Right. So, um,
0: right. We always think of the internet as just unlimited. Oh, not at minutes. all. <laughs> it's, not it's, at all. It is a it's thing, a thing right? in a physical yeah. space, and it takes yeah. up
1: resources for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. And um, and that that is driven home just in the in the pricing structure itself. So, uh, how it typically mm-hmm. be structured so- is like. Um, a price per kilowatt for a cabinet. So you are ultimately charging for mm-hmm. a unit of space, but the power the power reserved within that unit of space. So power, price per kilowatt right. for a standard cabinet of, say, four kilowatts, that's how you would look at the basic pricing structure. So that's the basic mm-hmm. MRC mm-hmm. Uh, baseline price. And then the other big component that you would charge typically MRC is the cross-connect, which is... Uh, the physical uh, cable connecting
0: the server, a Cat six wire that some engineer pulls. Yeah, down and the beauty calling, of right? that so, for the
1: data center yeah. operators, they get to charge you monthly for something that just sits there, um, that
0: <laughs> it's that someone has to yeah. plug into a port yeah. one time. So, right? yeah. Although, you know, to be fair, you, you, they they are meticulously yeah. managed. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, um, okay. Yeah, but
1: there have been yeah. very. Traditionally, very different pricing models um, in the U.S. and elsewhere in the world. The, U- the U.S. has kind of always monetized that very heavily, um, at least in mm, some of the. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, like in local access, at- local access is by large more expensive than the U.S. than yeah. the rest of the world for various reasons. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, not the rest of the world, but then mm-hmm. other developers. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. so, yeah,
1: those are those are the two big MRC things that I would probably- highlight. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that's, that's really useful, I think. And something else that you mentioned earlier, um, but uh, I think worth focusing a little bit more on now is that um, you mentioned that price prices in this market are, are remarkably stable, which is uh, sort of juxtaposed to them being um, almost always in a downward trend in the network space. Now, in the network space, we're dealing with something more like electronics, more like Moore's Law where you're constantly able to increase the supply by increasing the throughput over the same fiber optic wire here we're dealing with more econ 101 kind of stuff where there's like mm-hmm. land has a value and there's a finite yep. amount of it and um and and every data center that gets built uh, uh, in in a uh, an aggregation spot like Frankfurt or something like that comes at the expense of of you know a future use of that yeah. land, right? So so you you see a different dynamic here where where prices tend to be stable or, or potentially oh, yeah. go up, right? Uh,
1: typically, when we see prices go up, it's oftentimes in the short term um, in relation to mm-hmm. some you know localized market dynamic um, or. Perhaps what's happening in, in one specific data center, but um, but by and large, it's pretty stable. I'd say if we were to look at broad trends across geographies, what we've typically seen um, over the years. Um, so if you, we we track pricing in pretty much core markets, Asia, Europe, the Americas, mm-hmm. or, or particularly North America, and um, what we typically see is that when you look at the price per kilowatt it's always going to be more expensive in the asian hubs uh next most expensive european hubs most competitive u.s hubs the the Mm cross-connect prices tend to flip um u.s prices Mm -hmm. are the highest Mm -hmm. um followed by asian prices followed by european prices so what's that mean in the wash like when you look at kind of a TCO model, your Asian markets are always the most expensive. Hong Kong and Singapore are just nosebleed uh, expensive mm-hmm. compared to everywhere else. Gotcha. Um, but predictably, your average rates um, in US and Europe are going to depend on how many cross connects you have. So um, if you're only using one cross at the cabinet, it's typically going to be more expensive in your European hubs whereas if you 're going to have multiple cross connects, mm-hmm. it's going to be more expensive in your American hubs because those are so much right. more expensive you're paying less for power, yeah, but yeah it becomes yeah. a much bigger component of your t c o interesting um, now within these markets uh, it can vary a lot some of these some of these locations are uh, quite competitive so that you know the difference between what you expect to pay between operators isn 't that great. In other markets it's pretty high and on average i mean there can be a swing of 200 per kilowatt between your low-end operator and your high-end operator in any given market so pretty much no matter where you go in the world you can bet if you're going to the premium ecosystem it's going to cost you a lot more if you're going but if you're an enterprise Mm -hmm. provider and you can shop and you have options for providers Are not in like the most expensive urban area and have your basic needs Mm -hmm. can give you access to you know a dozen or so carriers, can give you some kind of dedicated access, uh, at 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 an acceptable distance to your cloud providers, your platforms.
0: Yeah, yeah, as long you know, being a couple markets away won't change your latency, then 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 it becomes
1: a lot more competitive. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting, and I think something, you know, worth benchmarking along with your network prices as well. To give that that little plug, right? Oh, yeah. That it's it's important not just understand what your what your network costs, but how that network uh, interacts with with the whole ecosystem mm. too, right? So include, and that's something we could do. So that's Absolutely. really cool. Yeah. Excellent. Well, John, it's been really interesting. I just want to sort of close out with, um, you know, anything interesting coming down the pike that you think we should look out for in the data center space? Yeah.
1: Um, I guess I would... uh... I would highlight a couple of things. So first, I mean, I think as I said before, we're going to continue to see incredible growth at key interconnection nodes and, and across the board, um, and, and frontier markets and core mm-hmm, mm-hmm. markets alike. Um, we're 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 going to see um, an increased push to get cloud and content closer to end users, and that works out well for enterprise and everybody right. else because um, you know rather than having to worry about how close you are to some what may be far-flung locations, you can you can bet that as time goes on and we see more services deployed to more localized locations, you'll be able to access what you need uh, in, in, in a more localized um, um, area. It's yeah. Great.
0: Well, especially with the, uh, the, the work from home oh, yeah. uh, kind of revolution that you might even have a lot of white-collar employees. In fact, some very data and cloud service intensive white-collar employees that have Moved back to their home in Kansas or something like this, right? And so, and so, I think I, I definitely for, for all services, I expect to see um, you know nodes being pushed out um, away from the the sort of traditional tier one market. Yeah, uh,
1: you know, one other thing I'd mention in closing too that I, I, I meant to touch on earlier um, is that I th- I think that overall um, we're going to see a lot more regulatory scrutiny on this industry, and that's just something to keep an eye out for. <clears throat> so uh, this relates uh, to that whole yeah. issue that, um, yeah, these data centers are not just in the cloud, they, they take resources, they take power, they take uh, land, mm-hmm. and um, you're going to see uh, more, more governments looking at the utilization of resources by this industry, crafting more regulations, and that mm-hmm. will have the effect of mm-hmm. increasing pricing in some very key locations and driving some development elsewhere. And we're already seeing that in places like Singapore, Amsterdam, and Frankfurt. Uh,
0: now th- that's that's interesting uh, markets where we expect to see some maybe additional regulation. I, I'm I'm kind of skeptical of that in the U.S. Uh, given that uh, on my end of things, and the net network side of things, telecom. We uh, don't really have real regulation since 1996, <laughs> like when the internet was essentially being born. <laughs> so, um, I won't hold my breath here necessarily. Yeah. So.
1: Well, you never know. I mean, as we it, it, we're, I think we've yeah. just seen that sort of the tip of the iceberg. And since we've seen this kind of scrutiny mm-hmm. in some really key Asian and European markets now, uh, it may only be a matter of time before they really start to look at this here as well. Yeah. You never know.
0: Yeah, well, especially with you know things like crypto becoming kind of a political issue, yeah. which is really interesting. So, well, you know, and you know.
1: and we certainly are seeing. I mean, that's a great example. We're seeing what a tremendous amount of resource uh, resources uh, that industry is using, um, and so that's certainly mm-hmm. going to um, raise some raise some flags.
0: Yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, John. This was really informative. Um, uh, any place in particular that people should catch up with you if they want to learn more? Here, just find you at com. Yeah, you
1: can always hit me there. Uh, uh, connect with me on LinkedIn. Ha- uh, happy to happy to uh, mm-hmm. connect with you there, and uh, hopefully, we can meet up at conferences at some point soon. We're we're, we're trying to get back into the swing yes, of that.
0: I I really looking forward to that personally. For definitely, sure. we'll see. Um, if, if someone is looking for you on LinkedIn, I should point out if you're not looking at the show notes that your, your surname is, is spelled H J E M B O. You know, (laughs) H J like, yeah, yeah. (laughs) yumbo. Yeah. Got that Viking, Viking heritage to, to to give you funny, uh, sounds. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Excellent. All right. Thanks, John. Thanks for listening. The WAN Manager podcast comes from the team at Telegeography. It's edited and produced by Jane Miller, and it's hosted by me, Greg Bryan. I also wrote the theme song that you're listening to right now. To learn more about our data, jump over to telegeography.com. Or if you want to get right into more WAN content like you hear on the show, you can visit Telegeography's WAN forum at wanforum.com. We've got all of our podcast episodes over there. WAN manager survey data, and extra analysis pieces. That's all for now. So until next time, WAN enthusiasts.